And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Please be seated and we'll begin. I'm looking forward to sharing this message with you. Uh, It's been on my heart heavy since uh, Monday morning. It uh, came across in a different way, and I'm going to share a little of that story as we get into it. But uh, um, there's a phrase that came around in the uh, 60s, late 60s, by Friends of the Earth founder David Brower. Now, I'm not going to say I remember it from the late 60s. I remember when the United Methodist Church started using it. And the phrase was, think global, act local. Just so happens that we had a globe in the pile of stuff that came from an auction yesterday that was graciously donated by the estate where Jerry worked yesterday. And I wanted to thank Jerry for working hard to do that and Gina and Dink for uh, helping that come to be in our fellowship hall where we'll sort it later and our thrift store will be filled for a few weeks and maybe even longer. So, I wanted to share that with you, but think global, act local. You ever heard it? Mm-hmm. It's a very common phrase used in a lot of different scenarios. It's basically, well, I think it's trying to get people to think of the big picture. Mm-hmm. The problem for me though is when I hear it, I get a disconnect. There's 8 billion people in the world and I'm just one and it's hard for me to make that leap to think, how does this affect 8 billion people? I can think how it can affect 4 or 5, maybe the people around me, but 8 billion, it's just too big of a jump. Now maybe it isn't for you, but I will say this, um, if you understand it better than I do, have at it. But this message is going to get you to think a little more closer to yourself and what your influence is in the world around you. Because I know for certain a lot of the things that I do, no one in any part of the world will ever see. Some people... And that's okay. I'm not here for 8.1 billion people. I'm here to do what God asked me to do and change the corner of the world I'm in. And that's all I can do and that's all we each can do. So, if you're wondering how to change the world, you start with yourself. You start with yourself. Mm -hmm. Several thousand years ago, there was a famine about to happen and God wanted to protect His people. So He sent... Israel, if you will, down into Egypt through Joseph, who was sold into slavery and became Potiphar, the Pharaoh's second guy in command. Through this whole process, you may remember Joseph had all his brothers and his father come through. It's where Joseph says that great verse, you meant it for bad. God meant it for good. I think that's Genesis 32, that story. 400 years later, we find the uh, Egyptians are afraid of the size of the Israelite nation within them over a million strong. And so they put them into slavery. And the Israelites were tired of being enslaved in Egyptian bondage. 
So they cried out to God, and God raised up Moses, gave him connection with the Pharaoh family. I guess that's what you call it, the Pharaohic family, but his family. And then Moses fled because he did something he shouldn't have done. Well, while Moses was gone, he was tending the sheep and he saw a bush that was burning, but not burning up. And he said, this is a curious sight. I'm going to go have a look at it. You may remember the story as he drew closer. God said, Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And he kicked his shoes off. As he got closer, God spoke directly to Moses. And in verse 10, he said this, Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I'm just a sheep tender. And I hear this voice telling me that I'm going down to Pharaoh and Egypt, the place I ran from, where people were disowning me in some arenas, and I'm supposed to go back and lead all that million people out. <laughs> I can't think beyond 10 or 12 people, maybe 30, 40 people in my mind about how to lead, but a million? And they're in bondage? And you're just going to take them right out from under Pharaoh and just walk, waltz right out. And, and you know, if you would have heard that, you'd have said the same thing that Moses said. Who am I? You're asking me to do this. Who am I? Who am I to do that? I believe God checked Moses' heart. And when He asks you to do something, He's checking your heart first. Because I believe if Moses would have said, alright, I'm the man for the job. I'll go today. I'll get them all packed up. We'll come on back. And because I'm Moses, we'll do this. He didn't do that. Do you know why? We know the rest of the story, but I'm going to tell you why. Because they didn't know who Moses was. He was just one man among many. Why would they follow this guy who ran away in the first place and then say, we're going to leave? Why would they even trust him? I'll tell you what I'm thinking. God said, you're going to leave my people. Moses said, I, I, I'm lucky to lead sheep. And they're my sheep. I'm lucky to lead my own kids. Now you want me to lead your people. You lead them. They're your people. But you understand how God works. He has a burden for His people. Don't miss this. He heard their cry. He heard their cry. And He said, Moses, you're going to be the one to lead my people. And I would say in all of that that Moses was quite wise when he said, who am I to do that? I say the same thing on many occasions. And I don't mean like, who do I think I am that I can do that? But rather, who am I against so much? And so many insurmountable odds and what seems to be an impossible task in my mind. After all, 
God's people are led by God, not by man. I remember one of the times I said that phrase was back in October of, I'm sorry, August of 2000 when I was living in southern Illinois and I went down to Mississippi to do a trial sermon at a little independent Methodist church there. And I told myself when I was younger, I'm never moving to Mississippi. They're backward people. You know, I don't want to go there. They're uneducated. And there I was doing a trial sermon with the intent of never coming back. So you know what I said in the sermon? I said, I'm not the guy to lead you. You follow Jesus, not me. They voted 100% to bring me because I didn't want to lead them. And I, I said to them, How's that possible? They said, because you don't want to lead us, you want Jesus to lead us, and you're willing to do what He says. And I said the only criteria I had was that it would be 100%. Then I'd go there. So you see, they wanted to follow Jesus, and that's what I was saying. Don't follow me, follow Jesus. If I'm following Jesus, walk with me. Let us go together. And follow Him together as one. So Moses understood the task because he had been in Egypt. And he knew beforehand when he slayed the Egyptian who was beating an Israelite that the Israelites didn't trust him. And he was one. (laughs) What a crazy mess this was. They even said, who do you think you are to lead us when that happened? Who made you judge? Well, isn't it funny? Many years later, as Moses is older... They say Moses is our leader. He's our judge. And we follow him wherever he goes. And he's the founder of all of our stuff. Believe it or not, they follow the man after all. They wanted to hear Moses' voice, not God's. But at first, Moses said, who am I? Because they didn't know him. You understand the transition happened, didn't it? God created that transition through what God did through Moses. Moses couldn't do it. He knew that. Moses even said, listen, I have physical limitations. I'm hindered by my own disabilities. We all have limitations. None of us are uh, ultimate in strength and power and wisdom. But Moses had significant ones and some of ours are debilitating as well. But I want to tell you something. God is not limited by your limitations. He uses the weak to confound the strong, the fool to confound the wise, a child to lead a nation. Wow. You just think God's limited because you are. And it's given you a mentality that your limitations are not usable. That they're part of your imperfection. But God says, oh, that's what I want, is you to know that you didn't do this. There's no question in a lot of different stories in the Bible. They didn't do it. Joshua marched around Jericho with the Israelites seven days. Then the walls fell. They did not do that. All they did was shout. God did it. And they knew that. That's why they could worship Him. In our word... To the community, the same thing that God is always saying to us, that God is always calling us to something bigger than what we can do. If we can do it, we don't need God. 
God's going to call us to something we think we are unable to do. And we would be correct. We are unable to do it unless God calls us to it. If God calls us to it, then He provides what we need when we need it to do what He's asked us to do. How do you know you're doing God's will and God's work? Because He keeps providing the resources to get it done. If the well dries up, you're going probably going down the wrong road. But you have to go down that road to find out the blessing that God has on it if He's called you to it. Our word to the community when we canvass is you can be a part of something that makes a difference. And I don't care where it is, but we have a place where we believe that happens. I believe this is a church for those who gave up on church. I believe this is a church for those who gave up on this church. But it doesn't matter what I believe. What matters is what you believe and what you're willing to say and do to back it up. But I will tell you this, your life matters in the kingdom of God. It matters. It makes a difference. God says if you will be humble before Him, He will make your life have significance. He will do it. Not you. He will. So if you use your life for kingdom purposes, watch what God can do through you. Just watch. The truth is, most people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They just haven't found it yet. Or they've given up on believing it exists. But I know that I internally want to be a part of something bigger than me. To be inspired and excited and to dream and do something together that I can't do alone. That God's behind and it's like, wow, look what God did! To be that kind of thing. And that's what God's always trying to get us to do if we'll get out of our own self and own comfort zones to risk trusting Him with His Word of truth. Here's what I've been thinking about that really challenged me this week. And I'm going to bring it directly to you so you understand why this message means a lot to me. It's a difficult task, but a pastor has to convince the church. For some reason, I have to convince the church to be the church. Truly. To follow God. But how can a church do that if it doesn't know what that looks like? There are so many people, if you ask them, what is church, that you'll get a different definition from all of them, including theologians, pastors, folks in the pews, folks outside the church, folks not even associated with Christianity. Every definition is different. So I could say stuff to encourage you and say like, think global, act local, then you'll be the church. Or, go tell others about Jesus. But that doesn't tell you what the church is. Or its task. Now we have a vague idea that the church is the body of Christ and its job is to promote the gospel and bring folks to saving relationship with Jesus. And yes, that's true. But to be vague, to not be specific on directing what needs done and how is what's missing in so many congregations. And I realize we need spokes on the wheel. Not to be vague. Not to say, let's go... Reach 400. Go do it. 
And we leave going, yeah, I'm all excited, but uh, uh, what do I do next? <laughs> you get excited like all this energy for something and, and no direction. It doesn't get it done. And I've seen so many rallying cries that just have a rally. People are excited, but they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with that energy that God's given them. And so the first thing that has to happen, a pastor has to commit himself to the truth. And the call of God, regardless of whether or not anybody else is inclined to participate or to reject it. To follow that course that God has put on my heart to lead you there, whether or not you like it. To help you see that this is what God is directing us toward, whether or not it's comfortable, whether it makes sense. And that's a task that you can't just say, let's go do this, because you can't just go do this without a reason, without a purpose of something bigger than the purpose itself. Amen. Yes, we're making our campus more community-friendly, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is because we want people to know God loves them. That Jesus cares, and that someone will love them here, and we will come to you and love you if you will be open to being loved. That's a message many churches don't talk about. Or if they do, it's hard to see it in practice because it doesn't look like it. But I want to tell you that when it's hard to convince a church to follow God, it's because often the own definition or understanding of church from the pulpit is unclear. Not well defined. And so it's hard to get someone to follow a vague idea. It needs concrete, it needs specific, and it needs direction and purpose behind it. Why? Because you can grab a hold of what you can understand. I can't understand. Think global, act local. How am I supposed to think global and act local? It doesn't make any sense to me. But I can say this. There are people around us that we can reach if we know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I can't reach Mongolia. I don't even know how to get there. Amen. I just know it's somewhere next to China. Between it and a wall. <laughs> that I know, but I really don't know that because I've never been there. But that's what they say. But let me tell you something. It can be a lonely road as a pastor when people don't buy in. Especially when, when, when it's not communicated real well. But it also can be a lonely road when one of those 400 dies without ever knowing Jesus. And we got to pull the name off the cross for the wrong reason. And this week I began to grieve because last Sunday Jacob Webb was put on my heart to pray for. And I started praying for him. And then that night was the last night he had a conscious thought. And it was too late. We didn't get there. Mm -hmm. We didn't make it. It means a pastor weeps when one of those 400 dies without Jesus. But do we as a church grieve because we didn't get there? Because we didn't have a plan. Or we didn't implement it soon enough. Jacob, Debbie and Jacob, were housemates. How long? Almost two years. 
almost two years. And Debbie tried hard. And he said, well, one day I'm going to come. One day, one day. And she did the best she could, but she needed backup. And other people spoke to him, but he still wasn't quite ready. Not enough people had loved on him enough. And it breaks my heart to see his name in blue because he's no longer in red. And i got to tell you, if we don't have a heart for Jesus, the community in which we're located, it's hard for me to lead that because it means we're not going anywhere. I can't lead that because God can't. That's the kind of congregation that can't be led because they don't care about the people around them enough to weep when they die without Jesus. Or weep for ourselves because we didn't do enough yet. So what kind of church are we? What kind of church are you? Who are you to go to? And who are you to even go? Who am I? You might say, who am I? This task is too big. If you think global it is, but you can think of one, it's not. God's only asked us to reach one. One. Each. Just one. That's not too big. Will this church church up? And be the church? Will we? Are we willing to take the risk that says, you know, we've been complacent. I've been a little flustered actually because every time I get a chance to get this canvassing thing going, it pours down rain, or it was a blizzard, and we canceled service, or I had to be out of town for something on the days that were good. And every time something happened, something else came up. And finally I said, Lord, you need to schedule this thing because I can't. I sat down yesterday and looked at the calendar and I actually found a couple days coming up that actually we can do it. I was excited. I said, God, we can do it. And, and I said, oh, at the same time, I said at the same time, oh, oh, well, oh, oh, we can do it. Oh, oh. Yeah, we can. I can't. We can. We can. If God called us to it, we can. In Acts 13.22, it tells us that King David was a man after God's own heart. He desired God's plan for the world and for himself and not his own. It says in Scripture, other than the mistake with Uriah the Hittite and his wife, David lived a complete life before God, seeking what pleased Him. A true congregation will church up, if you know what I mean, and rise up to be the church with a heart for God and what we do. A heart for God, that we want to please God, that we want to let others know that we're not out here for our own glory, our self-edification. It was very interesting to have a conversation I had with some pastors over the last few weeks about church. I got to hear their understanding of it and I was pleased to see that there's been a shift. That they're no longer concerned about numbers but about mission. 
But there's still some pastors out there who think that church is about building up the congregation numbers so that there's enough in the coffers to do the things to get more people in the church to build up the coffers. But that's not what it's about. The mission of the church is to go out into the world around us and let people know that there's something more to life than just eat, drink, and be merry. There's more to life than sitting around being miserable or trying to make it through this world just to die. There are many people who find joy and satisfaction only in what they can ingest or do for excitement or to make them feel different. That is their bonus in life. Because they don't know that there's something bigger than them that can make them be bigger than what they are. That they don't have a dream anymore because they've been broken by the church that's hurt them, by people who say they're Christians that don't live it out, who judge and reject and condemn rather than bring them in and say, we love you. I love you. And I'm going to put feet to that Word. A lot of people don't understand in the church, and this is what's happened, is that the people in the church are no longer the ones that are going out. And the people out of the church are no longer coming in. And if you're going to get someone to come to church or be a part of the body of Christ, you have to go there. Not expect them to show up. Used to be, they would show up on Sundays and visitors galore. But not now. The church actually has to go out in the community and say, we really do love you. And we're going to love you in your home. And maybe one day you'll darken the doors of the church. But right now, we're going to lighten the doors of your home. And we're going to love you and find out what you need and tell you there's more to life than what you're settling for. That you can be a part of something big that makes a difference in your community. Would you like to do it? A lot of people will think it's just another pipe dream. It's true. But until the church continues to pour into and love and continue to manifest those works of grace in the world and community around us, they will still wonder if it's true. Until we continue to do that, they're going to say it's just a one-time visit. And anybody can blow off a one-time visit. Even a second visit. But when people start tangibly loving them, they're going to say, why are you doing this? Why are they doing this? They don't want anything from me. What's up with that? You ever had someone love you and not expect something back? It becomes so rare in this world that when it happens, you don't know how to handle it. You go, what do you want? If someone says, I don't want anything, you you go, "Uh there's always a catch. We love without a catch. That's what the church does. We love because God loved us and commands us to love one another. It should be a joy. And an easy thing to love another, even when we are uncomfortable with them. In Joshua chapter 24, the end of Joshua's work was coming up, and he's getting ready to uh, pass on the torch, if you will. And he gathers all of Israel together. And he talks about all the different things. (laughs) I really like this. Because there's a couple of verses here that I wasn't going to tell you about, but it just struck me as peculiar. 
Joshua is talking about their history and how Abraham came and they went into bondage into Egypt and then they were led out and now Joshua had led them into the promised land and they dwelt there. No wars, all dwelling in peace in the promised land. <laughs> and, uh, and what he said is this is what God said. I sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh to deliver them out of bondage. And I just read through that real quick and didn't think about it. But if we go back to Exodus chapter 3, God's asking Moses. Mm-hmm. But God didn't send Moses. He sent Moses and Aaron. You understand, Moses could have said yes and gone by himself, but God didn't send Moses. He asked Moses, and Moses says, who am I to do that? And so God sent Aaron with him. Sometimes you need someone to go with you into those dangerous and scary places God calls you to go to. And this passage in Joshua 24, this is what really gets me. And maybe you've never seen it this way, but there's a verse in here that's very familiar to many people. He says, Fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the God which your father served on the other side of the river. And in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the other in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua did not say, but as for me, I will serve the Lord. Me and my house, we do it together. Amen. We do it together. You can't do it alone because God doesn't send one person other than Jesus to do the work of the church. He sends us together. One person can't do it. That's why the pastor can't do it. That the church has to do it together for his common purpose and vision. And when you act with true conviction, people around you see that passion and say, whatever it is you got, I want that. I want to be a part of that. That's when God began speaking to my heart about this church, and I'm going, God, I've laid out a pretty aggressive vision, but is that mine or yours? I really need to know. I'm getting nervous here because, you know, I don't know how to proceed with this because if it's not you, then it's me. Then I, I, and I'm beginning to get some skepticism in there, right? And some doubts are rising up. And I'm saying, God, who am I? Who am I to do this and to say this is your word? Who am I? I'm just one person. Kind of like what Moses was saying, right? And then in Deuteronomy 11, God brought this verse to me. He said, If you carefully keep the commandments which I commanded you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and to hold fast to Him, the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. God's going to clean up our neighborhood, our town, our community, our region. He will drive out the wickedness. God will. I can't do that. 
You can't do that. We as a church can't do that. But if we're willing to go in and possess the land for Jesus, God can make that happen. God and God alone. And Joshua, in that great, great section where he's talking to the Israelites, says something. I've read this verse and just passed over it. It's verse 10 in chapter 23. He says, One man of you... By the way, he's talking about what we will do if we're a a nation for God. One man shall chase a thousand. I'm thinking, why would a thousand run from one unless God is there doing it? One man of you shall chase a thousand... For the Lord your God is He who fights for you as He promised you. Therefore, take careful heed that you love the Lord your God. Do you understand what he's saying? Is God is fighting for you and He's going to help us do what He promised, but we have to get out into the front lines and let God do the fighting. We have to see what God's doing and to do that, we've got to be in the front line where He's doing it. We can't say, well, as soon as God does something, we'll, we'll watch. We actually have to be willing to go and to take that risk. Church must work to reclaim lost ground. This is its mission. To reclaim what the enemy has stolen. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But the church must do its mission not because it's a good idea to think global and act local. To redeem the souls that are lost. That's not what it's about. It's to bring God's mission and purpose to the world around us. Yes, lives will be transformed for Jesus Christ. Souls will be redeemed. But only when the church churches up. It does that because it's called to the task. Now let me share something with you. This is where I think it might make you a little uncomfortable and I'm okay with that. Trust me, I'm okay with making you uncomfortable if it's going to get you to move. If you think church is coming to Sunday, listening to a message, maybe Sunday school, and then heading home to eat, and that's it, you missed it. That is not Christianity. That is not church. It is not the task. That is you coming to get edified for yourself, but doesn't take it out into the world around you. Now, I promise you, there are a lot of people in this congregation doing some great things for the kingdom. There are. And I'm so thankful. I could list them, but I don't want to point out names and say, well, what, what, well, I do stuff, and I don't want to ignore people in that way. But I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of people in this congregation doing stuff for Jesus Christ for the right reasons. And I'm thankful for that. But wouldn't it be awesome if we all banded together all in the same direction doing the same thing? How much direction God could use there? Because God said, do this? I think so. In Isaiah 40 it says this, They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. They shall... Rise up on wings like eagles. Do you understand that God is calling us as a church to rise up like eagles? Not to look around 
and see what's coming, but rather to rise up and see what's ahead that God has called us to and say, I'm going there. And yes, it may not always be easy or pretty, but I'm up for the task. Who am I to go? I don't know, but God asked me. And if He asked me, He must have a good idea. So I'm going to trust Him. And after Moses got done arguing, he and Aaron went. You get it? You can go willingly or unwillingly, but God wants you to go. And the church's job is to be the church. I don't know if I've got it fully clear, but I'll say this. The church's task is this. That on Sunday morning, we learn how to do the work of the kingdom. And then we go out and love people where they're at and meet their needs the best we can as a community. We are a community of believers meeting needs together. We can't do this alone. Last night, it's a way of wrapping this up, last night, I had an appointment I had, my wife and I had, and Jerry had a whole bunch of stuff that he needed to move to our fellowship hall for our thrift store. I told him I'd help him early in the day if we get it done, but it didn't get done till later in the day because the auction went long and there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, right? And so Jerry said, well, I need some help unloading and loading. And I said, okay. I didn't say, I will do it. I said, okay. So I, I put in some calls to find out, first of all, who could unlock the church? That's important. The church needs to be open to bring this stuff in. And the second call I made was to someone who offered, hey, I can help unload. I couldn't be there. But someone else could be the hands and feet of Jesus in that moment. And there's some things we can do that others can't do if we're willing. And in that moment, not only did the help come unloading, but also loading at the site and coming all the way here and spending most of their evening here so that we could give stuff away to people who need it desperately, to love people. Now you might say, but, but, but they don't even know where this stuff comes from. They don't really appreciate it. Our task is not to figure out what people's motives are. Our task is to love people as they are the way God showed us. What they do with that is up to them. But sooner or later, one day, one of them will say, this church loved me when I didn't think anybody else could. And they'll be receptive to someone loving them all the way into the kingdom. This is what the church is about. Loving people into the kingdom where they are. A lot of people will take advantage of the system, but this is not a system. Love is a gift. You can't take advantage of something given. This is for you. Well, I'm taking advantage. No, I gave it to you. It's a gift. Just like Christ on the cross, you can't take advantage of the grace of God. It's already yours. You can't steal it. You can't go, I'm going to take God's grace and run. And then nobody will know. You already own it. God already loves you. Unconditionally. You can't say, God, I'll do this and you'll love me. You already got it. Can't earn it. Got the grace already. You can't earn it. You got the mercy. So, when the call comes, are you going to be the church? 
Because each one of us is the church. Each one of us. So I'm going to say it simple. Instead of think global, act local. Think Jesus and act in love. Think love. Act. Toward one. I can handle that. That makes sense to me. And over the coming weeks, I'm going to begin to share with us how we can do this a little more tangible ways. I think it will help us as a church to understand what it means. And I pray that you will church up. The ballot simply says this. I want to help the church be the church. Yes. I do not want to be the church. Yes. I want to be part of something bigger than me. I just want to know where we all are at. And that's why I put that in there today. Because I'm ready. I told God, you send me, I'm going. I don't care what it is, I'm going. I may not understand it, but I'm going. I'm doing it. But God, it's because you sent. Not because it was my idea. My idea is not to go this afternoon and go get a ship and put it in our yard out here and, and, and lay the gravel and move the pipes just so people in the community can put... That's not my idea. That's not my idea of fun. That's my idea of work for the kingdom to bless people. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to say, look, it wasn't spent on myself. I wasn't selfish today. I wasn't doing things for me. I was actually trying to bless others. And when we start thinking like that, the church will change the world again. Would you pray with me? God, I know that You love us in ways we don't understand and ask us to do things we don't understand, to love people in the way they don't understand. And for some reason or another, it all seems to work out Your way and no other. So I'm asking as You bring us here to this place today that You brought us here for a reason. And I'm asking that You would help us to be Your sanctuary. Heavenly Father, Jesus even said as a sanctuary, we are a place of prayer first. And in this prayer, I ask that You would infiltrate us, help us to lay aside childish things and live for You as men and women of the Kingdom of God willing to go forward to do Your work. God, church has been long identified in many ways as a place to go rather than a people who love. So help us to see that distinction in us in each one of us, that together we may love well the people around us. Amen.